The following is a Kingfisher Media production. Hey guys, you're listening to the In the Blood podcast. I am your host, AC Bergen Fisher, and thank you so much for listening, whether you are a new or returning listener. I'd like to invite you to find a quiet place where you consider what's being shared with an open mind and a receptive heart. Before we begin, though, the following disclaimer. I am not a therapist, and nothing presented here should be considered as therapy. If you feel that therapy would be beneficial, please seek out a licensed therapist who you trust. When I was born, my parents named me Antony which means highly praiseworthy or priceless one. While my parents would often remind me of the meaning of my name, they would just as often, if not more often, speak to me or treat me in ways that made me question their motivations for sticking that particular name on me. You know, a name is a powerful thing. It's a descriptive label which allows people to quickly make assumptions about us, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, there are often times when conveying a maximum amount of information in a minimum amount of words is extremely useful. This was probably more true back in ye olde days when names would indicate professional qualifications or in Native American cultures where a name would indicate the circumstances surrounding one's birth or their spiritual attributes. I think these days, more often than not, sharing the meaning of one's name isn't much more than a fantastic topic of conversation, at least in our culture. You know, I remember chatting with the person whose name meant goddess of wine, which we both found hilarious because the woman had literally zero alcohol tolerance and she wasn't terribly fond of the taste of booze either. So obviously the descriptive label isn't always an accurate one. My friend found that out through reading the definition of her name in a baby book. I found that out through years of being treated as though I was broken, flawed, unworthy of praise, with the added bonus of bringing no distinct value to the lives of those who should have loved me the most. A lot of you, especially the parents, are probably cringing right now and thinking maybe I'm being unfair. After all, what parents doesn't love their children? In my view, love involves affection, care, self-sacrifice, and compassion. In fact, the last episode I recorded was all about what I think love is. Affection and care are pretty easy to muster up. My parents didn't struggle with these for the most part. The parts that didn't seem to come naturally to them, though, were the self-sacrifice and compassion components. Now, again, I suspect that a lot of you are cringing, 
And again, I suspect that this is especially true of the parents. After all, every parent makes certain sacrifices when bringing a child into the world. And every parent, whether it's by choice or by force, makes sacrifices to provide for the needs of their child. So I must be ungrateful or delusional to ignore these, right? Wrong. As a parent myself, I'm well aware of the sacrifices that I have made. The major difference between me and my parents is that I've never once brought these up to my kids. There is no, you owe me for the things I've done attitude coming from me. You know, that brings me to the compassion part of love. I was told many times about the value of compassion. I heard it about it in Sunday school. I heard about it at home. I heard about it, but I wasn't able to fully understand it because I never fully experienced it. The lessons that really stuck were things like there are always strings attached or you don't deserve this or I have to love you because I'm your parent, but I don't like you. Not the sort of things a highly praiseworthy or priceless individual would expect to hear. And it wasn't just the ways in which I was mistreated that caused me to question my value either. Often it was seeing examples of the low value my parents placed on others, which brought that up. For most of my childhood, both of my parents were estranged from their parents. Both of them were estranged from all of their siblings. So there were no visits to or from grandparents, no playing with cousins, no Christmas gifts from aunts and uncles, no family barbecues, no reunions, you know, none of the normal stuff that it seemed that most of my friends enjoyed. One of the family relationships that I found especially confusing was the one with my older brother, Mark. I didn't understand why my last name and his last name were different. I didn't understand why Mark was raised by my grandparents. I didn't understand why my dad would go quiet after he would refer to me as his number one son. And I would respond with, but what about Mark? The lack of clear explanation made me worry that if I did whatever Mark had done, they would change my last name and send me away to be raised by someone else too. I think that my dad's intent was to reinforce my praiseworthiness, but his words served more to undermine my perceived value. When I eventually confessed these concerns, my parents told me that Mark's dad was not my dad and that I had nothing to worry about. My mom had Mark when she was quite young. And when she and my dad got married, 
the decision was made to leave my brother with her parents so that she and my dad could start fresh. I can tell you that I was not comforted by that revelation, but I was even more convinced that the key players in my family unit were very much expendable if the circumstances demanded change. I was equally convinced that despite what I was told, my insecurities were not based on things which were just in my head. That if my mom could walk away from my brother, she wouldn't hesitate to walk away from me. I also developed the understanding that dads can and do disappear. After all, nobody really knew where Mark's dad was, did they? This was a lot for my young mind to understand and for my little heart to feel. It seemed like the things they told me had a strange way of not matching up very well with what I was witnessing. I was told that a mother's job was to love and nurture, while a father's job was to provide and protect. I had seen firsthand that a mother's love wasn't guaranteed. I heard from her own mouth that she didn't like me, so to my childish understanding, it seemed like she wasn't very good at her job. My dad, meanwhile, had fallen on hard financial times, so he didn't always seem to provide very well. When he started abusing me physically, he didn't seem to protect me either. I mean, besides, what would have been the point of standing guard over the household when the real threat was inside the home? Beating six-year-old me with a metal rod didn't do much to teach the clear message that compassion was valuable, nor did it leave me feeling love in any other way. Now, some of you might be wondering where my mother was while my father was beating me. And I wondered that too. When I got older, I realized that she had a funny way of disappearing after she had told my dad to deal with me and before he actually dealt with me. As I mentioned earlier, both of my parents spent the majority of my childhood estranged from their families. While estrangement was certainly my normal, there were times when one or both of them were on speaking terms with some or all of their respective families. When I was about 15 years old, I was enjoying one of these periods when my mother was on good terms with her family. There South African, so they had the accent, the bratty culture, and a great sense of fun. So I was very much looking forward to the long drive to go visit them. I was especially looking forward to seeing my favorite auntie, my mom's sister, because she was the one family member who had always reached out for me despite the estrangement 
and the one family member who never failed to demonstrate how praiseworthy and valuable I was. As an added bonus to making the trip, I knew that I'd get to spend a week at my aunt Ninny's house where my favorite cousin Sandy was still living. Sandy and I had always enjoyed a special connection whenever we were allowed to see each other anyways. On the day before we were scheduled to head out for the visit, my dad told me that my mother needed to talk to my sister and I. He brought us into their bedroom where mom was sitting on the bed and it was immediately obvious that she had been crying like a lot. She invited us to sit down and my dad sat down beside her and took her hand. After what seemed like an eternity of watching her fight back the tears, she began to speak in a shaky voice. She said, you know that I had Mark when I was very young. You know that his father is not your father. What you don't know is that he wasn't the only man I was with before I married your father. When I was 17, I was very much in love with a man who I expected to marry. Because of that love, I found myself pregnant. Because of that pregnancy, the man I loved decided that he could not stay. Wow, this was turning out to be a lot more than I expected, I was thinking to myself. She continued with her story. My parents had already taken on the responsibility of raising one child of mine, and they made it clear that they would not be raising another. The expectation was that I would be sent away to finish out the pregnancy, and then the baby would be put up for adoption. Jeez. At this point, I, I, I wasn't sure what to feel. It's not like finding out that I had a long-lost sibling was an everyday occurrence, right? Mom said, What you might not know is that your Aunt Ninny was told around this same time that she would be unable to bear children. And as she and her husband very, very much wanted a baby, it seemed unfair to her that I kept getting pregnant while she couldn't. That added to the resentment she already felt toward me for causing so much stress to our parents. Okay, now I was starting to understand some of the estrangement issues in her family. Mom's story continued. Eventually, the baby was born. A perfect little baby girl. 
at this point now, I'm crying tears that are coming from places so deep I didn't even know that I had them. This was no longer some abstract, long-lost sibling. This was an actual sister. Mom took a long time to compose herself before she picked up the story again. I had a little girl, and I named her Sandy. Wait, what? Is that why my cousin is also named Sandy? Was she named after my sister? This was so much for me to process, and honestly, well beyond my ability to understand. Mom went on to explain that because Nini wasn't able to conceive, she and her husband asked if they could adopt the baby. At least that way, the baby would still be with her biological family. I was still too stunned to understand what I was hearing, so Mom made it plain. Sandy is your sister. Now, remember... We're packing into the family station wagon the next morning to make the 12-hour drive to visit my mother's family. I had this overwhelming need to put my arms around my sister-slash-cousin, and I wasn't even sure which she was supposed to be moving forward. The emotion in Mum's voice was gone now. She explained that we were not to say anything about what we had just been told. It wasn't something to ever be discussed with family. It wasn't something to ever be discussed outside of family either. We weren't even to act any differently with Sandy than we had before. It was going to be business as usual, or there would be hell to pay. Not just one sibling had been given away. Two siblings now. When my parents said that there would be hell to pay if I allowed my emotions to surface with Sandy, I couldn't help but feel like I might be the next child who was given away. Spending time with Sandy had always left me feeling loved, important, unique, and valuable. Moving forward, spending time with her was going to be a reminder that my feelings were irrelevant and that my parents didn't seem to worry about leaving unwanted children behind. I don't share these details to shame anyone. I don't share them to hurt anyone. I share them because keeping these details secret has been tearing me up for long enough. I'm at a point where my healing can't continue without letting some of these things out. I share these details because I want to encourage those who are struggling under the weight of their own heavy stuff and let them know that they are not alone, that other people also tear themselves up trying to decide whether the secrets they carry are more important than their need for calm. 
that it's a noble thing to suffer for the benefit of another person. However, it's also understandable if they can't keep on doing that. At some point, each of us needs to decide which things should remain secret and which we need to share. For me, it's become increasingly clear that the things I've kept inside are my story as much as anyone else's. And while they might prefer that I stay quiet, I don't have it in me to do that anymore, nor do I owe that to them. Besides, if they couldn't keep their secrets to themselves, I don't think that it's fair for them to expect that I keep the secrets. Finally, I share my story because it's important to me that you see me for who I am in context. Sometimes it's easy for us to assume so many things about each other when we don't know the backstory. So today I offer you a big piece of mine. If you would like to share some or all of your story, I would love to hear from you. If what I've shared has left you feeling like I get it, again, reach out. Many of us walk alone in our struggles. Very few of us need to, though. So, my friends, I, I hope that what I've shared today has been meaningful to you. I hope that you take something personally valuable out of it. And until next time, much love.